With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek the adventure of the unknown. Join us everyday Aussies from all walks of life share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride of fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. It's on top. Jeez, it goes good, eh? What was that? Sorry. <clears throat> Coconut water. You know those? With rum. It, yeah, goes, it goes real good, yeah. It's a little sissy, isn't it? Well, I don't, I don't care. If people want to judge me, that's fine, yeah. Uh, That'd be a good start. <laughs> that would have been a good start. To it's, it's on there. <laughs> <laughs> it's on there. Good start to oh, it. I don't care if people want to judge me, mate. I'm past, well past that. That's true. We're starting to mature a bit, aren't we? Yeah, coconut water just, just gives you that little... Like, it's basically water with just a little bit of coconut flavour in it, you know? Like, it's it's got no additives or preservatives or any crap in there. Like, like, like Coke is obviously not good for you. doesn't matter who you are. Coke's, Coke is not a good thing to be put in your body. Yeah, but it's still a little bit... <coughs> a little bit sissy. I just don't care, mate. I don't care. <laughs> so it's not a full dress, it's half a dress. Yeah, oh, mate. I really don't give a rat's ass, eh, to be honest, but... It tastes good and it's healthy, healthier than, than Coke. So, righto guys. Um, yeah, we're just um, having a bit of a chinwag before we get going, but um, welcome back to Hunting Camp Down Under, guys. It's been another friggin' long time. Everyone's had busy lives and um, we've got other things to do, but we're gonna start throwing down a few more for you. And if you didn't recognise it, it's um, Jake Gasparowski here, and I've got the hot seat right next to me is Ben Solaris. And um, Ben's just come back from a hell of a hunt um, over in the Middle East. Correct me when I stuff up here, Ben. Well, Central uh, Asia is the correct, yeah. Central, Central Asia. Asia. Mm. Righto. Mid-Asia. Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan, yeah. Kyrgyzstan. Chasing A. Mid-Asian Ibex for me, Righto. yeah. Yep. It's not your first Ibex? No, no, it's uh, technically the uh, third third Ibex species, yeah, on the list, yeah, for yeah, me. Right, I've eh? got two, hunted two before this, and um, yeah, this is the third third Ibex I've taken with a bow, yeah. And how many more you got to go before you hit that big <clears throat> Ibex plant? Well, it's an interesting question. There's probably, um, there's probably at least two, I think, that will that I'll probably chase. Um, I don't, I don't, technically I don't, I'm not pursuing any kind of Ibex slam, but I am, like one of my main goals in life is to, is to take a Capra slam, which is 12, 12 different Capra species. And that's recognized by um, Grand Slam Club Ovis, it's GSCO. And the Capra species is goat. Yeah. Animals. That's, that's right. And the goat family. Animals in the Capra family, which is yeah. essentially the goats. So that covers, um, all of all of the different ibexes, all of the different chamois, which is a which is quite a number of. Um, the tur come into that category as well. There's three species of tur that come under capra. Yeah. Um, the good old Aussie billy goat. Mate, it's an interesting one with with the capra hercus. <clears throat> they are recognised under what's called a super forty. So if you if you do enough hunting and you've got enough money, probably to hunt um, over 30 different capra species, which 
not not many of us will 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 probably ever get the opportunity to do. Only then, after you've shot thirty different capras, does does the feral goat come into play? Yep. And there's a few other more oddball capra species that fit into that category that only become, um, I guess, part of that classification once you've shot thirty. So our our feral goat capra hercus, which there are capra hercus that you can hunt in other countries like Spain and Argentina and New Zealand. Um, they they just don't count until you've until you've shot thirty well, wild they capras. For the final hurrah, don't they? Yeah, when you get up to that number, and that's just the way that's just the way that particular that's that's just a level of that slam. You know, like it, you, you once you've got twelve capras, that's your capra slam. So that's considered a, a capra slam. It's the same with sheep. Once you once you hit twelve, that's an ovis slam. Ovis being the the, yeah. the family of sheep. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, really. Um, I guess from our perspective as Aussies, we would, yeah, we would probably think that our humble feral goat should totally be considered as a as a as a as a legitimate capra. Yep. Um, but as far as the organisations that recognise these slams go, it's not yep, until right you've right. shot over thirty. And I don't think anyone, no one we know, is going to be even thinking, even thinking about trying to. Trying to get thirty different capras, but um, but yeah, like I've probably got. I think there's probably two, two more that I probably will hunt at some point, and there may be a third at some point in time. But like, there's two that are on my list, and um, they would be the um, cyan ibex, which is which is a. It's only a fairly recent classification, but yeah, they're a they're an ibex that is specific to the Cyan mountain range in in Russia. They were right. previously um, considered as a Altai ibex, and you've probably heard of Altai ibex. They live in Mongolia and Russia. Right, so Putin's put um, a hole on that for you. That's exactly right. So uh, the Russia situation at the moment's very disappointing because um, yeah, like it's been a pretty um, it's just been a very unfortunate sequence of events with Russia because they they just legalised bow hunting uh, right at the end of two thousand nineteen. Just teases a little bit. And then... Oh mate, and I I never like even in even five years ago I didn't think that it would happen in our lifetimes. I I didn't I kind of thought oh, yeah, it's sort of off the cards. It, it's probably never going to change in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. Possibly not ever. Um, it's a funny story. I got a totally random message i was down hunting fallow deer with me two best mates down at um down in new south wales this would have been 20 must have been 20 ah it was 2019 it was early mm -hmm. it was the it was the fallow right 2019 got a message from a russian bloke who i met in bulgaria probably two years earlier or maybe a year and a half earlier and he was part of the team who were actually um putting the submission um, forward to the Russian parliament um, to try and legalise bow hunting. He, mm -hmm. he sent me this random message out of the blue. I just shot a little boar, actually. Like, it wasn't the most impressive boar I've ever shot, but anyway, it was a boar. Yep. I actually was just self-timing some photos and got this random message, and um, he was basically asking for help and, and um, wanted me to put together, a, like, an interview-type video um, to 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 add to their, like they would have probably had a few people do that, but basically a video, like an interview type video explaining why why I was into bow hunting and why I wanted to hunt in Russia with a bow. Yep. And they then put that 
along with probably other videos to the parliament in Russia when they were when they were going through this process. And so essentially, I actually did some small little thing to help with that with that process, which I was very glad to do and ver felt very privileged to be able to do. Mm. And um, it was funny because I only just had enough service up there in that in that spot to actually transfer him like once we'd edited the little video i only just had enough service to actually transfer it to him but it all worked out and um yeah by the end of 2019 it had been legalized and then all of a sudden we found out about this thing called covid <clears throat> and um we all know about that and uh, we all probably know more than what we need to about that <laughs> and um just as it started to finish and 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 sort of dissipate as we all know it did Suddenly, this war broke out. So it's got it's, nothing to do with bow hunting, but uh, you didn't start the war. No, oh, well, I hope. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I highly doubt it. Well, I know Putin's into his hunting, but he's probably. I, I don't think he's got a bow. But um, but yeah, it was just. It's just been incredibly frustrating because Russia is Russia is a is a huge landmass. It's a it's the biggest country in the world, as you as you know by far. And it's got and, a lot of cool critters. A lot of amazing critters and and a lot of quite a number of critters that can't really be hunted in other places like for example two of the tur only live in russia um the third tur lives in azerbaijan and russia and bow hunting is legal in azerbaijan and there's been a few shot there with a the bow the dagestan tur um and there's just there's just so much opportunity there and it's very affordable and it's a real adventure destination you know and and that's that's what probably excites me the most these days is um is going to these um sort of off the beaten track sort of destinations and getting into these wild places and hunting species that yeah that um that are that are that, that fascinate me i guess and so yeah russia the the cyan ibex is definitely on the cards and that's one that are that's one that you can hunt in parallel with uh, the morale, and I know we've spoken about that before, yeah. and and Halsey as morale well. Being a deer species. Like, yeah, well, that's yeah, essentially male stag, essentially yeah. an elk. Yeah, yeah, it's essentially the the, the Which elk is of high in my bucket list. Yeah, and um, and some of the spots like some of the spots where these cyan ibex and the and the Altai ibex live, they they live together with morale. So to do a to do a combo hunt for um, essentially an elk and an ibex in exactly the same spot is a pretty exciting idea to me and it probably would, would be to others as well but that to me is that to me is something that would be pretty off the charts and I really want to experience that one day um, so that's on the that's on the cards once once this war um, once things sort of set, settle down a little bit um, mm. so Putin if you're listening to this mate um, sort out your shit <laughs> Because there's a few of us that want to come over there and chase a few critters, so give us a ring and we might be able to help you. <laughs> but um, anyway, let's. I reckon this podcast, guys, is going to be a long one. And what we're going to do is we're going to break it up into two lots. So we're going to split it up. We're going to leave the, all the good, juicy bits to the end. And we're going to go down the track of prepping for a hunt like this. That be sourcing outfitters, flights, accommodation, uh, whether you're choosing to use a um, like a booking agent along the lines of booking a hunt for something like this. And then we'll go down the lines of gear selection because Ben's done this twice now for the same critter in the same place 
first time he friggin' um, um, his luck wasn't on his side, and um, a couple of the other boys did well that were with him. That's but, right. But um, Ben wasn't fortunate enough, so he's done it twice. Which um, so he knows what gear to use, what gear not to use, what to leave behind, what to pack, mm. and um, also how to go about these international hunts, um, which I believe a lot of people believe they're way out of reach. And I'm telling you now, all them fellas driving friggin' $140,000 friggin' dual cab land cruiser friggin' utes <laughs> that are whinging that it's, nah, it's way out of my league, I can't do that, that's bull crap. You just gotta start making a few sacrifices and um, it's definitely doable. Um, yeah. Particularly, so, particularly this, particularly Kyrgyzstan, like I'd, <clears throat> I'm not saying that we're all going to shoot a friggin' giant Marco Polo sheet, but yeah. you know what I mean? There's, there's quite a lot of hunts for under that 10,000, between that five and $10,000 yeah. mark. That's right. That are around the world, which to be honest, it costs you almost 5,000 bucks to do an Australian hunt to go hunt a friggin' chittle or a red yeah, exactly. or a pallo. Exactly. And, um, yeah, so if you, you know what I mean, every now and then just don't buy as many friggin' Red Bulls at the servo and friggin' wingdings. Friggin' save a few dollars and you, you can all do this. It's And it's right there and it's a lot easier than what people realise. And um, Ben knows that inside and out. One, he's been there, done it. Two, he can help you with these hunts. Um, ben has a... Uh, booking agency by the name of Silent Pursuit, so that haven't heard of it. So we'll touch on that. That any anything Ben will be able to help you with, whether it's doable, whether it's not doable, and how to go about it, how much it's going to cost, and he will step you right through the way. So Ben, if we're going on a hunt like this, or want to do a hunt like this, let's concentrate on this hunt, yeah. right? And then maybe we can twist it into. The Bulgaria hunts, um, which one you're known for, you've done that. A few boys are doing it. I've booked in for it. Yeah. Me and my dad were going yeah. for my dad's 70th. It's bloody so exciting. So that's going to be a hell of a friggin' trip. Yeah, it will um, be. So, mate, how do we go about this? Like, obviously, yeah, yeah we just ring out. <clears throat> then what? Yeah, so, like, I'll go back to the very beginning and I, like, I, like, I've always had a, I've always had a, innate interest in sheep and goats for some reason like I, I and this is one of the things that is uh that that interests me quite a bit about hunting and and about us as individual hunters like why we why we are drawn to certain species and certain um certain families of species <clears throat> and it's something that I think about quite a bit when I'm driving around or when I'm when I'm actually hunting or whatever and and we all have different tastes like just like we have different tastes in food or uh, like partners Women. or, yeah, I was going to say, I was trying to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Women or dudes, whatever freaking tickles your fancy. <laughs> we all have different tastes and, and, and there must be some reason for that. And I don't, I haven't pinpointed what that is, but there must be something deeper there that there's, there must be something behind that. And I don't, I haven't pinpointed it yet. It may be, it may be to do with um, how valuable certain certain types of animals were in our history 
Yep. Like if 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 you're in an if your ancestors were in an area where there was a lot of wild sheep and sheep meat was the best meat, maybe that's something to do with it. Why mm -hmm. we like sheep? Is it just the way they look? Is it just the where the country they live? I don't know. It might be a combination of things. Yep. But I I really am um, interested in sheep and goats as as two different um, like families of of animals. You are a red deer man. Like I'm you, just, you're obsessed reason, with red deer and, yeah. and and their relatives, like elk and the elk and the, and the white lip like, deer and stuff like that. Like there's there's other there's other species that are that are related to reds that you're interested in, and that's just something that's inside you, and and I'm, and and that's just how you are. But I, <clears throat> when I was a kid, I remember sort of when the internet first came out. I remember sort of um, a Pornhub. Oh, I don't even think that was. I don't even. I think it was pre pre Pornhub days. But I was more interested in researching um, ibex and 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 wild sheep and stuff. I was more interested in that than porn, to be honest. Like yeah, and, right. And, eh? um, and so the ibex, the, or the different species of ibex, have always been of great interest. I did my first ibex hunt in 2013. I went and hunted um, Basidi ibex in Spain, which was. A bit of a spur of the moment decision, and it was it was probably because it was very affordable um, as a hunt. Like the Basidi ibex in Spain is a is a very very affordable hunt for anyone, um, and they're very they live in an area which is very um, conducive to bow hunting. That's great mm -hmm. country for bow hunting. So it's a good step in that. Absolutely, good, yeah, it's the perfect yeah. entry into into hunting any kind of ibex is is the Basidi. Yep. And look, the other the other three species of ibex in Spain are pretty similar. Like they live in good country, um, good good terrain for bow hunting, and they're all like the other three species are a bit more expensive than Basidi. But but anyway, that's how it started for me. Um, through um, my name being drawn out of a hat um, in a particular raffle with GSCO, I was very lucky to draw a um, yeah draw my name like draw which GSCO. Grand Slam Club Ovis, which oh, yeah. is which is a which is a hunting club based out of the states, um, basically based on mostly centered on sheep hunting, but also on on capras as well. And yeah. they also are the the recognised um, organised or the outfitter. Sorry, the the organisation that recognises the North American Twenty Nine, which is oh, the right. Super Slam. So the yep. Super Slam yep. is the Twenty Nine North American animals. I won a hunt by chance, had my name drawn out of a hat, and I converted, I drew a, a, a rosy elk hunt and converted that to a Bezois Ibex hunt, um, which was really, really lucky. And I, I was very, like, just so lucky to be able to do that in 2018. Went over to Turkey and hunted Bezois Ibex. That was my second Ibex. And um, yeah, it was in about 2017 that Corey Nash and I were over in New Zealand hunting tar. Um, it was our third trip over there, and it was the it was the first time we were actually successful after three three trips to New Zealand. And I'll never forget we were we dropped in at the taxidermist um, who we'd made contact with, whose name is Tyron Southwood, um, outside of Christchurch, and um, Tyron. Um, and his apprentice at the time, Zim, who's also now well-known taxidermist in New Zealand, they had just been to Kyrgyzstan hunting ibex yeah, right and had some photos and um, we sort of got talking and, and the mid-Asian ibex had been on the radar before that, but that was sort of the moment where I was like, Corey and I particularly were like, right, let's, let's do this. And the idea, the idea got into our head and we started to... Like, yeah, it started to just talk about it and talk to outfitters and talk to booking agents and just started to suss it out a bit. 
And um, it was around that same time that I'd sort of become mates with um, with Baz, aka the Brown Fox, Barak Hadid from Sydney, um, <laughs> who's a who's a very close mate of mine now, um, and an absolute larrikin. Um, Good dude. He's the sort of bloke that you you float an idea to and. He's there. Like yeah. it doesn't take much encouragement. Yeah. <laughs> he's all over it. So it was. It sort of all came together. It all sort of culminated there in about 2018, I guess. We started to form a bit of a group. Um, Mick Rodolfi uh, also came into the team. Uh, Mick's wife Jen um, would have been probably fiance at the time. I'm not sure, but I can't remember if they got married before or after. And Baz's lovely wife. Um, Aya joined as well. So, and also another bloke from Sydney, Raf, another rifle hunter, joined us. So, ended up being a team of um, of six hunters and one non-hunter. Yep. Three rifle hunters and three bow hunters. So Mick, yeah, right, eh? Mick and Corey and myself being the three bow hunters. So I basically coordinated that that hunt and and organised it through a booking agent, a very well known booking agent. Um, <clears throat> we went over in 2019. Um, it was a fairly early hunt, like as far as, as far as Ibex hunting goes in Kyrgyzstan, it was reasonably early. I think we were there right at the end of August, beginning of September. Um, it was an absolutely just mind blowing trip. And, um, we all, we all just, we, we all just came away absolutely, um, just, just, so stoked and yeah. so in awe of everything that we saw. Um, the whole experience was just absolutely phenomenal for all of us. And I'll never forget the amount of froth. When we all met up back in the city after our hunts, I'll just never forget uh, when we all got back together and we got to share our stories. And like, for example, we'd been led to believe by the booking agent that we needed to have our own tents. We needed our own stoves. We needed to be absolutely self-sufficient for the so entire hunt. So out for a backcountry mountain Proper, hunt. proper. Like, like we were back. going on a tar hunt in New Zealand, un, yeah. like unguided tar hunt in New Zealand. Like that's what we'd been led to believe. We carried all of our food for the entire trip in yeah. terms of dehydrated meals and, 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 and like snacks and everything. We were led to believe that we needed to have absolute, we needed to be self-sufficient for that whole hunt. <clears throat> now what happened was, Corey and I got split off with one outfitter, which yep. we didn't sort of understand until just before we got there. So Corey and I went with one outfitter in one completely different region. And the other five, so the other the other four hunters and one non-hunter were in a separate camp. Yep. So the two couples and Raf. Um, and when Corey and I were in camp and we got there and we realized how plush it was, like how nice the like we had a we had our own bedroom and we had our own beds and yep. There was food, like proper meals served at every, like breakfast, lunch, and tea, and unless we were out hunting, we were like in disbelief. Yeah. We, we just couldn't believe what we were seeing. And we, we were actually talking about how bad we felt for the other guys who we assumed were roughing it <laughs> in, so, out in their, out yeah, in their the tents, out in, the, out in the, yeah. <laughs> so we, were, we felt bad. And it was only when we got back to Bishkek, the, the city, the capital city of um, Kyrgyzstan, when we, when we all met up, and they told us how good their camp and was. And they were thinking the same thing about you. We were buggers. like, are you serious? Like, that, like, their camp was fucking way better than ours. Anyway, we, um, yeah, so we got, 
We didn't get duped, but we got... Let um, up the garden path. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that was with a number of things. For example, we were sold a 10-day hunt, um, which we which we wanted because there was a couple of bow hunters. And which we, you need the days when yeah, you were sold and, for a bow hunter. With rifles in that situation, if you're, if you're in a group of rifle hunters, yeah, you'll absolutely get it done in seven days with a rifle, no problem at all. Um, Unless with, you have some serious bad luck. Yeah, but with bows, you, you need that extra, you, you're wise to have that extra few days. So we had booked a 10 day hunt. Now, one day of that is, is travel from the city into camp. Like all of these areas where, like all of these hunting areas in Kyrgyzstan are sort of minimum eight, nine, 10 hours drive from the city. So you've got a fairly big day's drive to get out there. At the end of about day four in, in mine and Corey's camp, they told us that we were going back in another um, in another day, so that came as a bit of a shock, and particularly for me because Corey, Corey, um, Corey was very, <clears throat> or he pulled off a very good stalk and a very good shot on I think day day three he got his ibex in twenty nineteen, so he was done. He was just back at camp, chilling with the kids, making toy bows, showing them how to shoot a bow, and. He was out shooting gophers and and he really deserved it. Like he'd like I like if you asked me who if one of us had to get if one of us had to get lucky, I would have any day of the week said, please let it be Corey, because he really deserved it. Um, I'm a bit of a tin ass a lot of the time and I I was I was really happy for him to have that moment and, and have that success and that luck. Um but it was a bit of a shock when all of a sudden we were going home after only five days hunting. So that was not what we paid for and not what we booked. So there was a couple of, there was a bit of a bad taste in our mouth, I guess, with a couple of things. A being the number of days that we actually had in camp. B, the amount of gear that we took there that we didn't need and what we were led to believe the hunt would be like and how it actually was when we got there. Yep. Uh, there, was a, there were a few different things that we were not impressed with, 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 um, with what we'd been told by that booking agent and, and what actually happened in reality. But at the end of the day, to be like to be part of a team, like it, it was really a team atmosphere, and to be part of a team with three rifle hunters and three bow hunters, and for two of those bow hunters to take a mid-Asian ibex with a bow, is just there's no th that, like, easy feat. That was just an unbelievable feeling to be a part of. You know, like yep. for I knew exactly how big a deal that was for t for us to go two for three with the bows. Like less than ten of these things have ever been shot with a bow in in modern history, and for two of my very good mates to so twenty percent of them, yeah, are good mates of yours. Yeah, like that's right. Yeah. yeah, so for for Corey and Mick to get it done, like my level of elation and my level of froth was probably higher than what it would have been if I had shot one. Yeah. To be to yeah. be completely honest, I'd. I just was so, I just, I knew how big a deal that was and I knew like just the amount of emotion that went in. Like I cried when Corey shot his Ibex. I have no shame at admitting. Yeah. When I heard that come over the radio, I, I bloody shed a tear. I was so stoked and that was such a massive moment in my hunting life for my good mate to, to nail one. Um, it was a big deal. So yeah, like that trip was amazing. Like, and I had a shot, I got a shot. Yep. I got a, on the very first day we were up in the highest, craziest country. Like, like we, like humans, 
humans are just not how, designed. How high are we talking? We're talking where that was was 4,200 metres above sea level, so 4,200 metres. Um, it was very high. We both suffered. So Kosciuszko is, I think, 2,200 metres, is that correct? That'd be about right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and I, if I had my calculator, I'd convert I think, it to I think feet, we worked out the other day, we were looking at 4,400 metres, and that's about 14,000 feet. Yeah, it's so about that. That's yeah. up there. Like, so that's when you start to, like, once you get above sort of 12,000, that's when you, you can potentially start to um, feel a bit of the impacts well, of the elevation. Not, yeah, we're and, not designed to be there. Yeah, and, and like, it's incredibly steep and incredibly just, um, it's it's very unforgiving. Like, it's, it's, like, I've been in probably scarier situations hunting tar in New Zealand where, like, I've actually been more fearful because of what gravity could do to me. Yeah. But up there, it's the it's the elevation that gets to you. And we both got crooked that first trip. Corey and I both got elevation sickness quite badly on the very first afternoon of the first, like the first day. Yep. Did um, you just do anything to like fix that? Because <clears throat> yeah, know, well, there is certain certain supplements and stuff you can well, take yeah, to help with that. There's like, a drug called Diamox, which is which is basically used for elevation sickness. And and I got some before we went. I went to a travel doctor and got some. And they recommend that you start taking it like a couple of days before you get to the elevation that you're going. So they, they recommend start taking it like a couple of days before and then continue to take it when you get to elevation. Yep. I didn't follow those instructions. I didn't take any whatsoever. <clears throat> it was only when we got sick that we started eating it. Yeah. And, um, and Corey, Corey was the one that copped it first and he was, he was absolutely screwed like i i i basically the, the last section that we got to on the first day of that hunt was incredibly steep incredibly high and he was crumpling he he was i don't want to i don't want to criticize him too much but i basically had to cra- carry him and i i'm i struggled to carry myself uphill and i had to really stay with him and and get him up that last say four or five hundred meters of, of slope yeah because he was absolutely rooted he had yeah. nothing left and he was he was disorientated and yeah, just and those who don't know Corey it. Nash, he's a tough son of a bitch. Well, he is, yeah, he's, he's tough. He's dude. way tougher than me and way yeah. stronger than me. And um, he was he was stuffed. He he was he was he was really falling apart. So we got him up there and we got him up we got him up we got him up to where we, where the camp was going to be for that night because we spiked out that very first night. And then it was only a few hours after that that it started to hit me, and it was a very spun out feeling and a very um, yeah, like I've never experienced anything like it. It's it, it kind of felt like my brain was sort of shutting down. I had no, it's like you had no thoughts or no, um, yeah. it, it, it just it just feels like you've just, you can't move, you can't think, you can't, you just can't do anything. There was moments there when I was just standing there staring into the sky and just my body and brain just had nothing. It was yeah, it's a right very right. strange feeling. So we took Diamox after that, after we got crook, and we were good the next morning. Yeah. We had another one the next morning, and that afternoon was when we both got a shot. So basically what happened was um, it was like a, a section of mountain range that, um, that was um, isolated from the main range with only one ridge connecting it to the main range, yeah. and they did basically an ambush situation. So they tried to... Um, they tried to get a ride around that range, and if there were any ibex there, they were gonna. They had to come through. They'll follow that route past yeah, you guys. They yep. had to come past through that spine, and we got into position off this pad. There was a well-worn pad, 
Um, we got into position above the pad, both of us next to each other, just hidden in some rocks. And we heard over the radio that there were some billies around there and that they w should be coming our way. Yep. And we're just standing there prepared, hoping that they might come past, not knowing what the hell might happen. No mm -hmm, idea what mm -hmm. could happen. And I'd range that pad at 50 metres. Sorry, it was yards. I was, I was back in I was yards back then, but I, I ranged the pad at 50 yards, yep. set my pen to 50 yards, <clears throat> and literally about, I, I'm not even joking, about 30 seconds before these Ibex appeared, for some reason something overcame me and I was like, oh, it's, it was quite steep downhill, like a downhill yeah. shot. For some reason, something overcame me and I changed my pin to 45 thinking oh, yeah, I thought you'd take a couple off yeah I thought didn't, I'd take five didn't off trust your something just over my instincts just took over and I, yeah. I, turned, I turned my pin back to 45 and at next minute five big billies came trotting along and they weren't yeah. running flat out but they weren't walking they were trotting and we quickly whispered to each other and we've done a lot of hunting together and there was no stuffing around like we figured it out real quick Corey was like I've got the first one you've got the second one bang we're, we're on yeah and as they came past at the closest point they were going to come past, we both shot at exactly the same time. We didn't count down or anything, but we just both happened to shoot at the same time. I'll never forget, his arrow went about an inch over the first one's back and mine went about an inch under the second one's brisket. Yeah, right. Just eh? one went high, one went low. And I just remember thinking, why did you move that pin? Because if I hadn't moved that pin, that would have been on the money. Like yeah. It would have, been, would have been probably a hard shot or, or would, have, would, have, would have got him. But mm. So that was the only chance I had that trip. And then, yeah, day three, Corey got an awesome stalk, awesome opportunity, steep downhill shot. I think his shot was 56 metres um, and he smoked his. And yep. it was just epic to watch from above. And, um, yeah, um, I didn't get another shot. I, I worked my ass off and yeah hunted hard for the rest of that trip but just didn't even look like getting another shot not even yeah. close and i remember i'll never forget sitting there with with one of the one of the guides one of the local guides on the last afternoon realizing that the sun was going down and that was the end of my trip the end of my hunt and i remember seeing the sun go over the mountains and thinking you know what i really don't give a shit that i haven't haven't got what I came for because this all this means is I get to come back here again. You get again. to come back again. Yeah. yeah. That was I yeah. I clearly remember thinking that. And um I just had such a like it had just been such a blowout of a trip. I just could not wait for a reason to come like to, to get back there. Yeah. And um yeah that was that was yeah that would have been early September 2019. We had already started plans to come back in 2020, like other other people and other other mates and whatever. We all like had big already, plans 2020, yeah. Had these big plans for 2020, and then all of a sudden this this uh, this really shit thing. China flu, Reagan mm, kicked us in all in the nuts. All of a sudden, this thing just happened that none of us saw coming, and now it's almost a distant memory. Suddenly, but COVID came, so there was no opportunity to go anywhere. Um, until this there was year, no basically. closure. Yeah, that's right. And I, I um, yeah, just I, I just had to be patient. And funnily enough, the last time I went, like I go overseas a fair bit, whether it be for family reasons or hunting or work or whatever. But the the last time I went overseas before this trip was Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. So I went to Kyr the last time before COVID was before COVID was Kyrgyzstan, and the first trip after COVID was Kyrgyzstan yeah. overseas. I haven't been on an international flight since then. So, um, yeah, fast forward through COVID, 
we'd formed a group. Um, I actually had another group of guys that were that were organised uh, through Silent Pursuits to to hunt after us. So we actually there was a few of us booked, so we had to split into two groups. Well, before and, we um, go down that route, because you're starting on the friggin' oh, second on the trip, actual hunt, yeah. Friggin' those that don't know me, I'm a gear junkie. I love my gear. Uh, whether that be packs or friggin' archery gear or broadheads or release aids, and I love testing shit. I know what works and what doesn't work. Um, so for a hunt like this, Ben, take us through the steps of gear prep. Like whether we'll start, we can start wherever you want, whether that's from your boots, to from your binos, to your clothing, then we'll go down the route of your friggin' your bow choice, your arrow choice, your broadhead choice, and then we're gonna friggin' tell the rest of the story. Right yeah, on. well, it's a... Because you've done it twice, so what yeah. gear did you wish you had on the friggin' first trip that you took on your second trip? Well, the or honest answer versa. to that is absolutely nothing. Right, It's nothing because that, in, on the first trip, the gear list that we got given by the booking agent was very exhaustive. Like, we had absolutely everything and I didn't, there was nothing that I didn't have on the first trip. Yep. We had everything. We had everything. We had way too much gear. Yep. And we... Some of us ended up paying quite a bit in excess baggage fees because of that, like for that yep. reason, which is pretty shit. Yep. Um, some of us were quite cheeky and carried like massive amounts of gear as carry on, and that's my latest little secret is is just maximum gear. Yeah. Yeah. Just hide. I now just carry a like a, Easy a, a dry bag for, for forgiveness and permission. Yep. Like. This last trip, I would have carried at least 30 kilos on the plane yep. as carry-on. And, and that's the best way to get away with it is just, just really load up on your carry-on, pretend that it's not heavy, and they just don't notice. If yep. you sort of sling it over your shoulder behind your back, they, they, don't really, they don't really notice. But, yeah, first trip, there wasn't anything. We, we had everything and more. And same as this last trip, there was a lot of things. For example, like a spotting scope, I took... I took my um, beautiful Zeiss spotting scope over this trip and it got pulled out once for about 10 minutes for the whole trip. Yeah. So was it really worth carrying a spotting scope over there? No. Um, other stuff... You is, would not take it, but uh, probably if you had not. one, take it. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's actually worth it. I yep. don't think it's worth that weight. Yeah. Um, if you've got a decent set of binos, that's probably all you need. Yeah. Um, the thing is over there, the guides, um, what binos did you run? Um, I've still, I'm still running Zeiss Victory SF, um, 10 by 42s, which I've run for a fair few years now. And that's, they were just absolutely perfect for this trip, just like they are for any, any kind of hunting. But that's all I really needed. I didn't really need a spotting scope. Yeah. Like if you're, especially with bow hunting, like I guess a spotting scope is really handy when you're trying to assess the age of of say a sheep or like you're really trying to get that detail um like you know at a glance with your binos what's a good pair of binos yep that's the sort of critter i want to chase that's right with ibex they're so visually like their horns are so visually obvious yeah it doesn't take much like even there's a big difference from a middle-aged friggin ibex to a mature animal that's yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. It's so visually obvious, even at a distance. Like you can look at them from two k's with your binos, and you can tell what's big and what's not. Yeah. And generally, like, like, generally over there, there's um, there's not too many occasions where you run into a mob, 
where there's not big ones in there. Yeah. So it's, it's it's not like the kind of hunting that we're used to, where you're really like you're really searching for a, a, a an animal that's of a specific size or age. Over there, they're plentiful. There's yep. heaps of there's heaps of old billies. There's heaps of big billies. Yeah. You're not trying to find one in a hundred. You're trying to like there's there's one in every mob. There might be fifty in a mob of yeah. of, of, of billies that are checking for that right opportunity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you, I don't think like with a, I don't think the spotting scope was worth carrying over to be honest. Um, and then you talk about things like say a bow press. Like I, I carry a little portable bow press which probably weighs <coughs> about, it probably weighs about four or five hundred grams. Um, but I don't go anywhere without that thing. I'm not. I'm not flying to Kyrgyzstan without a bow press and a spare set of cables and a string. You know, like yeah. I, there's no way in the world I'd go there without having the capacity to fix that kind of like. Or at least try to fix it. Yeah, that's like, right. Like you're in a almost. What did you say? Third world country. Well, it would. There's be, no yeah. bow shop down the road anyway. No, there's no bow shop so, anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, haven't got so. the, the. You know, if you go into the states, you know, and there's bow have... shops everywhere, right? So if you run into trouble. Within an hour or two, you're in town, you're getting something sorted exactly. over there, you're looking there's after no yourself. Help. Yeah, there's no help. So there are a lot of things that I took over there this year that I didn't, I still didn't even use. And I was definitely overweight with my baggage, like by a little bit. I had to, I had to sort of be a bit cheeky with what I, what I carried on my, like with my carry-on luggage. My checked luggage was right on, right on the correct weight. Um, but it's always a bit of a, it's always a bit of a fine line between what do you really need? What are the things that you may really need in a yep. particular situation? And what do you, what's a comfort thing that, that you, 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 like, is it going to make things a bit better or a bit easier or a bit more comfortable? Like there's these different categories of, of, of um, gear and you need to sort of figure that out, you know, like, and I can, I can tell you what I... Well, let's go down the must list. Yeah. So the must list, like, if you'd ask, if you said, to, if you said, Jake, we're going over there, the first thing I'd be doing is making sure I've got good, 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 good boots. Let's start with boots. Let's That's start with boots. Let's start at the bottom and work our way up. So this is that no is... friggin' advertising for friggin' boots or anything like that, but... Yeah, well, that's... I run Krispies. Yeah. I've run Krispies for friggin' seven years now, eight years, and... They fit my foot well. I'm not saying they're the best boots in the world, but they're the best pair of boots I've worn, and they friggin' do the miles. Um, yeah. I believe you wore a pair of Krispies over yeah. there as well. Yeah, it was the first first um, like proper mountain hunt that I've worn crispy boots. Um, I ran the Crispy Hunters, which are quite a, um, a high set boot, so they're 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 um, high cut. Like I think they're about a nine inch sh- nine inch. Oh, yeah, boot. that'd be about yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll be totally honest here. Like I, I have run lowers for many, many years, and and like I've been so happy with like particularly lower ranges. Um, yeah. I've run lower ranges. Which is on, good boots too. I absolutely, and I, I've run them on like particularly over hunting tar in New Zealand. There's been so many times where, at the end of the day, I've got back to camp or got back to my tent or whatever, and thought, you know what? If there's one thing I'm really thankful for today, it was my boots. Yeah. Like oh, those yeah. things today performed so well and they were the difference between where I could get to and where I couldn't get to. And I've been a big fan of those lower ranges for years. They've I've never had a reason to try anything else. Yep. Because I've been so happy with their performance as a boot. Yep. But just by chance this year, 
an opportunity came up and I got the chance to try a couple of sets of crispies out and um been happy mate these things were just yeah just it was like um they they didn't even really feel like boots it was almost like they're an extension to your leg like an extension to your body um like like boots are a real personal thing like you can have people rigging rave oh these are the best boots it comes Mm. down to what fits your foot that's right what's going to keep you in the bush longer that's all the mountains you know what i mean last thing you want is frigging coming up lame from a pair of boots that's exactly right do your homework on a trip any trip don't just another thing don't buy a pair of boots frigging the week before you go and frigging head off into the mountains because it might be the biggest mistake you make get your boots either wear them around town go shopping in them frigging go down the frigging servo in them frigging go to work in them if you can um but yeah, break them boots in because they will be either your worst enemy or your best friend. That's it. Don't tell the safety team, mate, but I wore mine to work a couple of days there. And um, just to... just to <laughs> Break like, them in. Just to break them in a little yeah. bit. Just to, even a little bit. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't have a chance before this trip to go and do hikes or do like serious stuff. But just to, just to wear them a little bit for a couple of days, even just at work, just running around at work. Um, they so were very comfortable. They're a real stiff boot too, with a big rubber rand. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. quite yep. a quite a stiff sole boot. Um, and yeah, I I didn't wear them in a hell of a lot, but I did a little tiny bit. But yeah, had no issues with. I've had I've only had issues with blisters a couple of times in my whole life. Once was with a with a set of cheaper brand boots um, that I hadn't broken in at all. Just put them on, went out yep. for a samba backpack hunt and really copped it, had yeah. massive issues. Big blisters, bad, really stuffed my trip. But um, yeah, the, the, hunters, the hunters were flawless. Um, in that sort of situation where you're going through um, a lot of snow and rocks and shale and um, you're on a horse a lot of the time, yeah. um, those boots coupled with good gaiters, which is, which is probably the next bit of gear as we move up the body, those boots with good quality gaiters, just bulletproof. Yeah. Like, and you need to have that in that situation because you're you got to you got to realise at some points you're up to your waist in snow and you can't even see what's underneath there. Like you're in all types of shale and like you don't want rocks and and snow and moisture and shit getting down into your boots. You've got yeah. to you've got to protect your feet. You've yeah. got to, your feet are so important to protect. Um, so yeah, look, I could, I, I, I was absolutely stoked with their performance. I'm not going to wear them when I come chasing red deer with you or go hunting chittle deer or something like that. That's yep. not, not the boot that I would not choose. Not that style of boot. No, yeah. but there's others, there's others that are. Well, I wear the Summit. So the Summit's there, it's still a, like it's a mid-range boot. So it's still got a bit of stiffness in it so you can take a bit of weight. Yeah. It's still light enough. And breathes well for our, our tropical conditions. Yep. So that's what I run, and I've been running them for years, and they're friggin', yeah, yep. they're shit hot. No, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely impressed, and I, I didn't think I could ever be more impressed than what I was with my lowers, but I, I have been this trip, and I, I, I yeah, I, I don't know what else to say, to be honest. Like, I, I, they were just absolutely flawless um, in that particular situation. And I would, they're a boot for mountain hunting. Like, that's yeah. what they're for. Like, you, you're in rough shit, you're in snow, you're in shale. That's what they're for. The gaiters right. are really important. Like yeah, let's got start to, moving up the body. Yeah, gaiters. Yeah, you've got to have your gaiters. I think once you get into clothing, like, I think, um, 
I there's think, a lot of good gear out yeah, there. Yeah, there's a lot of good gear. There's a lot of good brands and there's a lot of hype, just like there is with a lot of other items. Bows, arrows, broadheads. There's so much hype, so much marketing, so much advertising, so much uh, trying to follow the leader. Yep. Um, there's there's so much of that goes... I think more of that goes on in our industry than than probably any other thing it's, that I can It seems think of, there's like, a new pair of pants out and a new friggin' yeah. hoodie out friggin' every year, like... And you, it's, it, yeah. you don't have to wear the, the the pants I wear in that situation. Uh, like when it's super cold, like it was it was getting down to minus twenty, minus fifteen, um, minus ten. Like it it was cold. Like but so were it, you wearing like a like a down pant? Like, no, no, no. I was just wearing the the brand of pants that I wear in those real cold conditions is called Sport Hill. You might not have even heard of them, but they're I've never like heard a, of them. Yeah, they're like a mountaineering sort of pant. They're quite thin, but made of stretchy material, and they're they're just super super warm. They're not they're not um, they're not a fleece. They're only yep. very thin. Yep. But whatever they're made out of is is um, extremely insulating. Um, I bought them before I did my sheep hunt in 2015, and I've had them since, and they've just been flawless. Yeah, right. Eh? Um, I only bought one pair because they were very expensive to buy. They're like 350 bucks. And what I'm, are they called I'm, again? Sport Hill. Sport Hill is right the eh? brand. No, never heard of them. And they're just a black. They're just a pair of black pants. So in that real cold stuff, that's what I'll be wearing. But underneath that, I'll have a wool, um, a wool underlayer. Yep. Um, I mostly run um, icebreaker um, wool base layers, which is yep. just a pure merino wool product um i've got yeah like a like like uh long um long underpants and long sleeve base layer shirts and i've also got like a neck warmer and a beanie and a and a, and a balaclava and just all the stuff you know it's all yep. it's all icebreaker icebreaker is a really well-known brand of wool gear make a good ice coffee too yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's actually ice break. <laughs> All right, same thing. This is ice breaker, yeah. yeah. And and like there's there's plenty of good plenty of good wool base layer products out there, as you know. Like First Light produce some awesome stuff. Um, oh, there's, First there's Light, Kuyu, Sitka, Kuyu, yeah. even you know what I mean? Yeah. Friggin' Tusk has stepped it up this year. That's right. You know, and you got there's a there's a hundred different friggin' product yeah. brands out there, and they all not all sorry, not all brands are created equal. There is a few leaders in the pack, um, but yeah, there's a lot of people making good gear. At the end of the day, I'd, at the end of the day, I think in people's minds, there's probably more difference between these products than what there actually is yeah. in reality. Yeah. Um, if you buy something that's, if you buy something that you know is of reasonable quality and you've paid a reasonable price for it, it's probably going to do the job absolutely fine. Yeah. And this is the sort of gear that, like, if you don't use it very often, like, I don't use this sort of stuff very often. It's only when I'm going to some extreme place where I am going to be in these temperatures. If you look after it and wash it properly and maintain it properly, just like your boots, just like your your down jacket or your down sleeping bag or whatever, if you look after this stuff and and, and maintain it um, as you should, yep. it's going to last a long time. Oh, yeah. Like Unless this, you put on a dramatic amount of weight, which you probably have to do something about yeah. before you go on a hunt like this. Yeah, well, that's a good point. But yep. um, yeah, hopefully I, hopefully I don't put any <laughs> any more weight, any any more weight on. But it's 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 gear that if you buy it once, it's probably going to last the majority of your your hunting life. Um, and yeah, that's what I run. So yeah, wool base layer, of course, in these conditions. 
I do have a set of down um, long pants, but I didn't wear them hunting. You um, keep them in your pack in case you... I just wear them around camp. Yeah, They're just a comfortable thing to wear around camp. Like if you have to go outside at night or whatever, like when the temperature really drops, um, I had them there in case. I've, all, I've, almost, I've, always, I've also got a pair of down booties, which yeah, are right like right. slippers made out of down. They're like these fluffy, puffy slippers yep. that, are, that sort of come up to about, I guess, sort of six or eight inches up your ankle. Yep. Uh, they're made by Feathered Friends, which is a, which is a brand out of Canada. Um, they're just awesome. Like yeah, they're right just, eh? you just, you just come back after a big day's hunting, rip your boots off, your socks off. It's, it's cold, put your feet in them. You can just walk out in the snow. You can just walk out anywhere. Yeah. Um, things like that just make it a little bit more comfortable and sort of doable. Right, eh? So I think your clothing, um, I think your base layer is pretty straightforward. I don't think, I don't think we need to, I don't think it's rocket science myself and I'm, I'm sure other people will disagree with me and think it is rocket science, but I don't. I think, I think if, if you've you got stick to wool, stick to wool or a wool blend and, and go heavy, go, go heavy. If you know it's going to be cold, go heavy. Don't go yeah. super light. Go for your heavier wool blend and, and your heavier gear. I generally will run a mid layer in, a, in conditions like that and that'll generally be a fleece. So even on this trip, I was still just running a ridgeline fleece. Yep. Um, Fleece is fleece to me. It just is great bang for buck. It's it creates a lot of warmth. It's comfortable. It's quiet, and to me, it makes the perfect base layer between your between your sorry perfect mid layer between your base layer and your outer layer. Yep. It always seems to just fit well for me. Yep. So I was still just running a ridgeline um, fleece for my mid layer, and one of the most critical bits of gear, and and I will this is one that I'll vouch for and I strongly believe in is is you've got to in these cold climates, especially when you're doing any glassing or any, um, even sitting on a horse, yeah, you've got to have a really seriously good down jacket. Right, um, a whether, puffy down jacket. Yeah, yep. like whether that's whether that's um, a synthetic down, or whether it's synthetic or real down. I don't, I, I don't think it's. I think there's pros and cons, just like sleeping bags. Like you, there's pros and cons to synthetic versus versus. Um, natural down like there yep. is there is a lot of there's a lot to consider the biggest pro and con for most people if you don't know but a lot of people listening will know your fe- your feathers you're down your goose down yes they do treat it and it is semi waterproof but it's not 100 percent waterproof mm. so if it gets wet the feathers collapse you get cold That's where your it. synthetics are they're a heavier garment but they, when they get wet, they will still keep you warm. That's right. And the one I've run for several years now is the, um, it's made by Kafara. It's called a um, Lost Park Parker, Lost Parker, I think. Yeah. yeah serious um, jacket. Good yeah. jacket. Oh, mate. That thing just, like that That's thing. That's a synthetic jacket. It is. It's, it's a synthetic, synthetic down. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I did a lot of research into what, like what I needed and what was going to work back in 2015 before I went on my first sheep hunt in Canada. And that was what I selected. And it's just been yeah. like for the money I paid for it, it's just been worth its weight mm. in gold since then. And I'm sure there's other jackets that are probably going to do a similar job, but I'll tell you what, that thing is just off its yeah. head. It's no, they just, are tough. And they're a tougher material than a lot yeah. of them down jackets, but they can take a good beating. Yeah. You mean dragging them across the rocks, dragging them through the brush. That's right. So it's l- quite them synthetic. Them, sorry, them down jackets. They're quite. A, they're, they make them light, but they can tear and rip up easy. Like 
they are this good, tough. but yeah, I've smashed it. Like it's been, it's been on a fair few hunts now, and it's been smashed. And there's no signs of wear really whatsoever. I I look after it. I like once every say two years, I'll give it a proper wash with down like down wash, and like I do look after it. Um, but it has been worth its weight in gold. And once again, this trip, that was what I was wearing the whole time. Yeah, it didn't rain at any point this trip. It only snowed. Um, I did have a rain jacket. I had a Swazi rain jacket in my pack pretty much the whole time in case we did get rain or in case it got really windy and I needed something to shield from the wind. Yep. But I didn't pull it out once. I didn't wear a rain jacket once. All yeah, I right had right. on every single day was that Kafaro jacket, yeah, that, right that right. down jacket. Yep. That's all yep. I had on was my outer layer. Um, you definitely need gloves. You need probably more than one pair of gloves. You want um, You want either like a underlayer or a base layer sort of type of glove. So a that thin you can, to touch glove? Yeah, like so a fleecy, like either either a fleecy sort of glove that's just going to keep enough warmth in when it's when it's, when it's it's cold enough that it's going to affect your hands. But you still got feel and touch. Yeah, and yeah. then you want something that's really waterproof and bomb-proof. So yep. um, what was I using? I had both of those sets of gloves this trip with Sitka gloves, which is the only Sitka product I've ever bought with gloves. Same thing, bought them back in 2015, still doing the job fine now. Yep. The waterproof ones, you, you'll find when, you, when you're trekking through a lot of snow and you're, you're sort of really going up steep shit um, and climbing a lot and falling over. Like at one stage there, I was cutting across, I'd, I basically spotted some Ibex right up high, up on a, up on a, up on a I'd say a moderately sized mountain, like a moderate sized mountain. It wasn't one of the big mountains, but it was like a smaller sized mountain. There was a bunch of billies bedded up on top that we'd spotted and they hadn't spotted us. And I told the guide, I'm stalking these things. This is on the fourth day of the hunt. And I was halfway up that mountain and I was, I was basically traversing around the side of a, of a, of a certain hill. And it was all covered in snow. Like the whole place was just covered in snow. And, mm. and I was getting across this hill and I got up to about waist deep in snow and I thought, oh, this is a bit interesting. Like I, don't get up to this sort of height in snow very often. Yeah. And I just happened to be looking up the hill like above me and I just saw all of a sudden a horseshoe shape, like just crack form in the snow above me. Like I'm talking like 50 meters above me, this big crack just formed and then the whole thing just started to slide with me in oh, it. So I just started sliding straight down the mountain. Yeah. It was comfortable. It felt like I was in a little cloud, like just going just down the hill. And like in that situation, if you've got like fleece gloves on and you're trying to grab onto the snow or whatever, you're just, everything's going to get wet. And then your yeah. hands are wet, your gloves are wet, and then you get cold. Yeah. And when your hands are cold and you're trying to shoot and you're trying to do anything, it's just a pain in the ass. So it you, makes life difficult. Everything's yeah. harder. So you want to, if you're going to be making contact with snow or water or whatever, you really want to have waterproof gloves on. So I should have had my waterproof gloves on then if I was doing that. But um, yeah, you want to have a selection of gloves, and gloves are light. You're not you're not chewing up a lot of weight. You just want to have at and least. And they're cheap enough. Yeah, that's buy, right. Buy good gloves. Yeah, yeah, buy decent gloves. Buy have two or three sets of different combinations that you can use. Um, that is definitely important when you're in those temperatures and, and in those conditions. Um, Righto. I had a balaclava. Yep. Um, which I use some days, particularly when it got real windy. Um, Would have been handy on the pony. Yep. 
Yeah. When you've got snow and ice blowing into your face in really strong winds, you need to cover your face. Otherwise, you're just going to get exposure, which I did at certain points. Um, you want some sort of face covering and some sort of neck covering. That that Kafaru um, Parker, like it has a zip that comes right up tight to your chin, and it's got a hood. So if you've got a balaclava and you've got that over your head as well, you're pretty well protected. Yep. And sunnies is the next thing. You, yeah, you have, just get that snow blindness. That you white, have to yeah. have sunnies. And I learned this. I learned this on a trip to Canada back in 2013, hunting elk. You can get, like I got the worst migraine of my entire life coming back into base camp on the last day of that hunt from from the reflection off the snow. Yeah. So sunnies are really important. And I bought a re, I bought a set of sunnies specifically for this hunt, which are just like, almost like goggles. Like well, them pit viper ones? Ma- like pit vipers, <laughs> but just a little classier. <laughs> Not quite as redneck. Um, but they were full, like just, they've got really big lenses that wrap right around my face and just, just they're, they're um, yeah, like just, just compl- like no matter where the wind's coming from or whatever. You've you, got protection. You've got protection, yeah. So yeah. sunnies are really important. Face coverings are really important. And then your head, like I, I had a couple of beanies that I took, I gave them away. Um, but I've got like a mad bomber hat, which is made out of rabbit fur, um, which sort of covers your ears and has a little tiny brim on it. So you've got a little bit of sun protection. Um, you need a, you need a solid, you need something to keep your, your noggin warm. Yep. But then some days I rip that off yeah. and put a wide brim hat on. Yep. Um, I didn't carry an Akubra, um, but I took a, I've got like a, um, I can't remember the brand, but it's like a Gore-Tex wide brim hat. Um, that that's just you can just scrunch it up and throw it in your pack, and it weighs nothing. Yeah. Um, I, I just can't remember the brand of that, but yeah, it's like a proper wide brim hat that you can just scrunch up into nothing. Yeah. So you want to have that. You want to have. It's good to have that versatility because yep. you don't in the mountains weather can change. It can be overcast in the morning and freezing cold, and then by lunchtime it's 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 warm. And, yep. and and you sort of the sun's blaring like and you're closer to the sun there like at that elevation you're just that bit closer and everything seems to just the sun seems to just get you that little bit more um yeah so you sort of want to have these things aren't like if you have a couple of sets of gloves in your backpack and a couple of hats that's not gonna it's not weighing a hell of a lot is it yeah. like it's not no these, that's th- right. these things aren't gonna chew up a lot of kilos in your pack yeah um well now we're talking packs yeah. Right. So good quality pack, obviously, is friggin' in order, and there's yeah. a heap of them out there. Absolutely. A wedge of good packs these days. Some have got preferences and others. That's right. Um, yeah. So pack wise, what you know, what would you run? I had the. Um, I was running the EXO um, 4800. Um, it was great. I, I, I really like that yeah, pack. Good, I, haven't, yeah, I pack. haven't had a chance to use it a hell of a lot, to be honest. I bought it a few years ago, but it's only done a few a few yeah. trips, really. But it's probably a bit big for a day pack, um, generally. But they strap down good. like Yeah, they you know, do. Basically, you got your same frame for all your different friggin' pack models, which yeah. are interchangeable, so your frame's the same. With a full, few pulls of the straps, that's they right. Sit nice and tight up against your back. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're definitely good gear. They're made... Like, they're definitely made... Um, they're, they're a tough they're a tough bit of gear um, the main thing in that situation is 
you need to figure out if you're going to wear your pack on your back when you're on the horse, because you're on the horse 90% of the time, probably 95% yep. of the time you're on a horse. Yep. So if you've got a pack that can comfortably, um, that you can comfortably wear on your back and sit on a saddle on a horse, yep. um, that's going to work fine. Yep. And that XO, the base of it just sort of fits, it, it's sort of just exactly the right sort of length to sit comfortably at the back of your saddle. So it was fine for me. Like I had, I didn't even notice I had a pack on and I had a fair yep. bit of shit in there. Yep. But when you look at a spotting scope and rain jacket and this and that and whatever, like you, you carry a fair few knickknacks out on a day's hunt out there. You got yep. a, you got, there's a fair bit of stuff in there that you, you may need or you, you, you got a bit of water, you got a bit of food or whatever. So it was fine, that pack. Um, but I think most sort of most reasonable day packs would also do the job. You probably don't need something that big yep. in that situation. Um, that's just the pack that was yeah most suited to the job that I had in my kit at the time. And um, I've got no yeah, it, it did the job fine. Um, I really like that pack. The only thing I the only criticism I have about the XOs or the 4800 that I have, I'm not sure if other people have the, issue, the same issue, but the the lid is a little bit dicky in that it hangs down over the pack. You can't get it tightened up properly enough to the top of the frame to keep the lid up high. Yeah. Where the where the straps are on your on the back side of the pack, so your back. Um, they just don't above your shoulders. Yeah, they don't. They haven't got the capacity to 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 really tighten down to hold the lid up. So my lid's always hanging halfway down the pack. Yeah. Even though the straps are tightened up to their full their full capacity but that's just a cosmetic thing it's not really affecting the it's probably more designed for that pack to be full that's right and it is that, it's exactly that, right that lid was to stay tight. yeah that's right the the it's it's the lid the lid what holds the lid down is designed for a full pack and yep. that pack wasn't full ever yep. but yeah good backpack it doesn't need to be you're not you're not in a, in a on a hunt like this you're not backpacking yeah um people you're might backpacking yeah, and yeah. you're on a horse. Yeah. The horse is doing everything. The horse yeah. is doing all the work. You're not, you're not doing much work. Um, you you do at certain points, certain points where you're doing a hell of a lot of work, where you where you where you're pushing yourself to absolute limits. But at, for for the majority of the hunt, it's the horse that's doing the work. You're just sitting on the back of a horse, enjoying this crazy scenery, just absorbing everything around you and you're not doing much work. So the pack is not a really important consideration. Um, but yeah, I think anything, anything, that, anything that does the job as a day pack is gonna work in, in Kyrgyzstan in this sort of a, or in this sort of situation when you're on a, horse, a horseback trip. But yeah, so that's, I guess that covers boots, backpack, um, So it covers like clothing. Yeah, all clothing, backpacks, yeah. binos, um, righto, bow. Bow. I shot like I'm still shooting an Expedition X X33, which is a 20, 2021 model bow. Yep. I got that yeah at the beginning of um, twenty twenty one. You helped me tune it in and sort of get it set up, and um, you've helped me several times just to continue keeping it in tune. Um, yeah, I'm not going to get into. I'm not a bow. I'm not a bow junkie, so I'm not going to get into detail, but. I'll tell you what, that bow is what made the difference. I, I know for a fact that bow is what made the difference on between success and failure on this trip. Yep. Um, I've never shot a bow. 
So you're pretty comfy oh, mate, with the, that how, bow, it's, how it's flying. Oh, yeah. that bow is just, yeah, I've never had a bow like that. I've, I've shot a fair few bows and I'm not, like I said, I'm not a bow junkie. I don't get right into comparing bows and I don't even shoot other bows. I, I don't think I've even shot your, I don't even know if I've shot your bow before. Like I don't, even my mates, I don't even sort of, I'm just not that sort of person where I like pick up other bows and shoot them. Yeah. I just, I've got my bow and that's what I shoot. Yeah. But that bow has been... Um, it's working well. It's the best I've ever had, yeah. It's yeah. definitely the best bow I've ever had. And, and I couldn't have... Yeah, I just can't imagine um, things panning out the way they did without that without that bow and without having it as tuned as it was. And, and, um, and yeah. Um, you, did, you did a lot of... A lot of homework, like you were out practicing a lot. Like, yep. that's another thing, mate. If you're going to drop the frigging coin on a trip like this, or and if you're going for a hunt in your backyard, a hunt and goats, mm. practice, yeah, throw arrows, you know, muscle memory, get to know your that's gear. That's right, and like, it's a big thing. You're absolutely right, and and most people, most people know that and realise that and put that into practice. But I, embarrassingly, am not someone who does that every time. There's plenty of times where, look, I always know before I go on a hunt that I always know that I'm shooting as well as I need to be for that hunt. Um, I always know that I'm, I'm gonna be, um, my arrows are gonna land where I need them to, but there's, there's a lot of occasions where I don't have the opportunity to practice as much as I'd like to before a trip. Part of the reason being, I haven't lived in a house like this sounds ridiculous, but I haven't lived in a actual house since I left home to go to uni. Like since I left high school, I live, haven't lived in one house where I could practice in my backyard. Yeah, right. Eh? Like when was that? Like I'm 38. I left home when I was 17. I haven't lived in a house in the, in those 20 years where I could shoot in my backyard. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. embarrassing. Well, it's not um, embarrassing. It's just well, it's, the way it is. It's just how it's panned out. Yeah. And like, um. Like on these bigger hunts, I, I always put more effort in and I, I do make more effort and get out and practice more than what I normally would, but um, I never do enough. But this particular trip, um, because like because I knew because I knew what I knew from last trip and I knew what the distances were gonna be like. And yeah, I just, I just really just, made myself you were hungry. You wanted it more. Yeah, I guess so. And and the fact that you moved to this house and you moved out here where we are right tonight doing this recording, like your spot here is just perfect. And like for the last few weeks before I went on that trip, I could duck out here after work and have some shots. And I didn't have there was no you you and Maddie obviously you weren't always here. Just had mm -hmm. total peace and quiet which is when I practice my best, when I'm just totally by myself, totally in my own zone. And yeah, I did a lot of practice before this trip and I was practicing at distances I don't normally practice at. Like I, I was practicing out to 90 meters, which I don't usually. In the past, I've practiced out to say 60, maybe 70, absolute max. But this time I was shooting plenty of arrows at 90 and 80 and 70 and 60. And I yeah. don't normally do that. But I knew that I had to do that this trip and it's the first time in my life where I've had to take a really long shot, and well, let's save it, that shot for the yeah, for we the will. Friggin, yeah, we'll save that. We will. Right, yeah. I, did you choose a pin sight or a slider sight? Nah, slider. Yeah, adjustable yep. pin and I, a single pin slider. Yeah, single pin slider. I've been using an uh, Axel Architect for 
Since uh, 2018, I started using that site, and that was yep. the last Ibex, or yeah, the last sort of Ibex I got was in Turkey. That's when I got that site again because I knew that it was going to be longer shots. Um, I love it. I don't. I don't have any. Um, I don't have any desires to go back to a multi-pin site. Yeah. I, I really like it. I know there are. I know there are pros and cons. There's to pros it. and cons to it. Yeah. Them, but just like again, everything. get to know your gear. Like some people, like I use a single pin. Yeah. Some people go, oh mate, you're in the rut. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're nuts using it from one end to the other. But, you know what I mean? I know, you know, my pin's at 25 when I'm walking around the bush. Yeah. And I know if that critter jumps up at 30, 35, 40, 45. And if it's past friggin' 40, you don't want to be friggin' snapping off a shot anyway. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, if you ain't got a good, comfortable range on him, you know, and you ain't got time to adjust your sight, you probably shouldn't be shooting. That's right. It's so, a personal. It's a personal thing. I just love that single pin act, that pinpoint yeah. accuracy. That if it's thirty-seven, whack it on thirty-seven, and mm. friggin', you know, and you're hitting that dollar coin every time. Well, I can't. I can't imagine myself changing anytime soon. Like I'm not. I'm not interested in the range finding sites. I, it just doesn't sort of interest me that that side of things. And yeah, I just can't imagine going back to a multi pin after this. And and I've had that same site for yeah, it must be nearly five years now. And yeah, um, I have no. Yeah, I think they're gear. great. I think I think the spot hogs are also amazing, like a, a really top quality bit of gear. And yeah, I, they're bulletproof. Yeah, yeah. I think I think in there's terms a heap of, of good size out there. Like, yeah, there's no shortage of them. Again, personal preference. That's right. It's it's a personal thing, and I think you've got to play with these things and have a bit of a go yourself. I don't think you can just listen to other people or read things in on online or on social media as gospel. I think um, that happens a lot, and I think you've got to you've got to just explore these things a little bit and try them yourself and and figure out what fits you and your your personality and your style the best. And for me, I don't, I have no desire to change anything at the moment from yep. that site. Um, so yeah, as, as always was using native, uh, native hunting gear arrows, which I never will, I will never even look like changing from. Um, they'll always be the perfect arrow for me. Yeah. And um, that's a 204 size shaft. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they are the 300s. Yeah. Yeah. 300 yep. spine arrow. 300 spine and they've got yeah. that, Half insert, half outsert. That's so right. A stainless steel insert, so they're good components with the aluminium yeah. sleeve over the end. Yeah. Look, I've, I've I've shot a lot of different animals now with those arrows over the years, and I like very rarely do I have a one break or one fail or whatever. Like you, you hit you hit rocks or you hit bone or something occasionally. You'll have a you'll have the internal part of the insert bend or whatever yep. come out of alignment, um, and like they're a tough arrow. Yeah, they're a tough arrow, a tough and they arrow. suit me for my yeah. for my style of hunting and my style of I guess archery. That arrow is perfect for me. I, yeah. I'm not. I, I, I've got no interest in looking at anything else. So, yeah, the old faithful natives um, were the arrow of choice, and yeah, I, I um, it's a bit of an interesting story. But earlier this year, um, the boys from Cayuga. Um, sort of mentioned that they were coming out with a, a new head pretty soon, um, told me a few sort of things about the design and what this thing was going to look like. Like it's a, it's a fixed blade, um, fixed blade uh, broadhead. Um, and yeah, I said, look, if you've got a few of these ready like to, to test out prior to this hunt in Kyrgyzstan, I'd love to, I'd love to take them over there and give them a run. Yep. And um, yeah, the boys sent me a few 
um, samples, which I was very, very grateful for. And I've seen them. I yeah, them. had a few. Like, got the opportunity to train with them, and I basically, like, I got, I had my field point shooting exactly the same as them. And, yeah. Um, so I knew that they're they were, grouping well. Yeah, grouping. Grouping perfectly. well, flying well at distance too. At distance as well. So I knew they were, I knew they were flying perfect. Um, and yeah, that was that was the broadhead I, I used and. Um, yeah, we I'd, tested on a couple of friggin' hogs around the area. Yeah, too. well, that's right, we did sure, too. Yeah, yeah made we, sure they friggin' we had a held up a, to a beating, and they and they did. So, yeah, we were, which we put were, no doubt in your mind going over there. I remember you saying that. Yeah, that's that's what I'm using. Yeah, no, I just and yeah, we were innocently just practicing, doing some doing some practice here one afternoon. We spotted some pigs out right out behind your target butt, which is pretty funny. That we, <laughs> get distracted from training for a trip in Kyrgyzstan by some pigs behind the target butt. But yeah, we um, yeah, had a bit of a, had a bit of a go with them out there and shot a, shot a young boar. And yeah, you could just tell, like you, you look at a broadhead and you know, well, like, I, I love gear. Like I love gear. I test gear. I, if someone's going to friggin' say, this is the best friggin' shit going, I'll go out of my mm. way. I'll buy it and I'll test it. Try I'll it abuse it. And the claims that people are making, I'll friggin'. I, I know. I, I, I've seen it. I keep it to myself, <laughs> and I tell a few mates, and yeah. But I, I friggin', I test people's claims, and um, yeah, I rate them. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to throw them on the end of my arrow. As soon as I saw the designs, I I was like, holy shit, this is gonna. I, I, yeah, as soon as I saw the just the drawings, like the engineering drawings, I was like, wow, that's yeah, that's. <laughs> right. We're gonna leave it there, right? So, so that was the broadhead. Yeah, we'll leave it broadhead department. We'll leave um, it there. So that's just in case we slip up and say something we shouldn't have. But anyway, yeah, they but they did guys, the job. Stay tuned. Because, stay tuned. Um, yeah, more to come on that. Yeah, more to come. But in terms of other gear, that's that's all you. That's about the gear, right? That's all your critical stuff. You don't have to worry. Like, there's you got a few your spotting other... gear. You got your gear to keep you yeah. warm and frigging out of the weather. You really you want feet. good binos. You really want a good bino harness. Um, you 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 want to be comfortable. You want to be ready to be on a horse for most of the day. Um, one thing, for example, that is is really critical is, or not critical, but one thing that's really handy in that sort of situation is. Is your Garmin inReach or your Zolio or whatever you want your so satellite communicator? Bit of communication with yeah. the with the real world. Well, not the real to world, the friggin' urban world. When you're in a when you're in a when you're in a country like that, and you you might as well be on another planet. Like honestly, when you're out there in those in those places, you might as well be on another planet. To be able to come back to camp and send a message to your mate, like I sent to you. Yeah, we're keeping in touch with in you. Touch, yeah. Or your old man or your missus or whatever. Like just to just to have that little. Just to send a message and say, "Hey, this is what happened today," blah blah blah, yeah. and Especially get a reply. If the trip is not going to plan. Yeah, it's good for a bit of reinsurance. Oh, it's it's an incredible. And it's if an shit incredible. Hits the fan. Yeah, it's it's well, that's right. In the emergency the situation, that's what's well. there for. Shit that's the right. Fan. That's right. So it's not there for a cuddle. But that's right. But the cuddles then, are nice too. Yeah, yeah, every now and then a cuddle feels good. Yeah. And so, so that's a really handy thing to have and, and it's not very, they're not very expensive or very difficult to like get your hands on. Um, other than that, look, the rest of it's pretty self-explanatory and like when you book a hunt like this, you're going to get, like say if you come to me and you say, look, I want to go to Kyrgyzstan in 2023 and I want to hunt Ibex, I'm going to send you a gear list and I'm going to, set, I'm going to 
we're yeah. going to have a chance to talk through this stuff through. And you're not going to. It's not be... going to be a one-off conversation. No. It'll be press right, friggin' right. Oh, yep. this is what I got, Ben. Is this going to work? Yep. Yes, no. Yep, that will work. And if you're and dealing if... with someone who's half reasonable and like has half an idea of what they're doing, or like they're going to give you the they're going to give you the lowdown. So you don't yep. you're not a, you're not on your own in this situation. You're gonna you're gonna have um, you're gonna have a lot of guidance if you're doing hunt like this. No matter who you're booking it through or who you've organised it with, you're gonna have you're gonna have a lot of guidance on on gear, um, and you're gonna be able to bounce things back and forward. Yep. Like you may not. You, the, everyone's going to have a slightly different um, list of shit in their in their bag. Yeah. Everyone's going to have a slightly different configuration of stuff. And the most set- of the shit, ninety five percent of the gear that you're going to have on your bag, or you're going to be hunting in Australia with, is what you're going to use over there. That's right. Yeah. You know I mean, there's a few tweaks here and there. Yeah. That'll friggin' make life a little bit easier, or maybe prepare you for what you're yep. not ready for. Yeah. Um, but that's what exactly as a booking agent as silent pursuit you're there to do yeah that's to right help them along steps along the way that's right yeah that's that's a that's at the most basic level that's the sort of thing that i'll help with and it doesn't matter if it's a hunt like kyrgyzstan or if you're going hunting buffalo in the nt or you're going to greenland hunting muskox it doesn't matter like we're gonna we're gonna give you that information and and guide you through that process like for example, I've, I carry this little plastic scrubbing brush that I bought in a supermarket in Canada in 2012. I carry it on every trip. It hasn't failed me once yet. It's still got plenty of years left in it. And that's my little scrubbing brush for just cleaning the blood off shit and mud off shit at the end of the day. When you're back in your hotel and you're yeah. about to fly, Which is you need to scrub your boots. Absolutely. Absolutely. Weed and seed. Absolutely. Diseases. Yep. Biosecurity. Probably biosecurity is the biggest Absolutely. issue coming back and forward from these international hunts. And it is so easy to spend a little bit of time in your hotel or in your whatever you're in. The night before you fly out, you scrub your boots, you scrub your arrows, you scrub your knife, anything that's got any kind of blood or mud or dirt or vegetation or any shit on it, you yep. have to get it clean. Yep. And in a hotel, you've got hot water, you've got soap, you've got everything you need to get everything sparkling clean. It's piss yep. easy. I've seen Corey get held up by a biosecurity for like four hours once. He missed his, he missed his next flight because he laughed at me when I was cleaning all my shit and he didn't clean his properly. He just he, he was like, no, nah, it'll be right got smashed when we flew back into Australia. I got hammered coming back from the States. from, a sh- And when we were in the States hunting, there was this friggin' house cat that lived friggin' in the barn where we were. And my big friggin' Everest bow case that I used to have my gear on, it was a nice fluffy friggin' base that was always open. And this cat would sleep on there through the day or through the night when we weren't there. And I got pinned on that. Like, You're there was, joking. There was maybe half a dozen cat hairs and when I opened my bow case back here in Australia they're like what's they that they saw that they pinned that they pinned Far that out. and I had to friggin I don't know how I got like somehow I convinced them otherwise <laughs> I told them it's from my cat here back at home <laughs> and it was friggin from this friggin old tomcat that used to sleep on the friggin bow That's case crazy, here in the States. Hey? yeah they're tight and they all vary which is good because at the end of the day we were to look after what yeah. we got. They've got a job to do. Yeah. Um, and Australia's rules and, and regulations and, I guess, standard is much higher than probably anywhere you'll see. New Zealand's probably on a par at certain points. The thing but, that becomes difficult is there's there's no... Um, um, 
there's no consistency between one officer to the next. No. So it just totally depends who you get on the day. And like, if they're know, in a good mood or not. That's right. Are they in a good mood? What's their background? What What's their disposition on, on hunting? Like there's yeah. just so many things. And like the guy I got the other day when I flew back into Sydney, he was just like the people in front of me that were getting checked had like kilos and kilos of food products and um, just they were just pulling out thing after thing after thing, like all these different food products. And I was like, wow, I've got nothing to worry about here. Yeah. This guy, I, I ticked the box for having animal products because I had two carvings, which I actually showed you tonight. Yeah. Of uh, like in Kyrgyzstan, you can get these incredible um, carvings made out of both Marco Polo and Ibex horns like these just insane 3D carvings of, of like, art. yeah, Marco yeah, Polo, Ibex, art, like dudes pulling their bow back. And I, I ticked the box to say I had animal products and I showed him them. I said, look, this is what I've got. Pulled them out, showed him. He didn't look at my boots. He didn't look at my, he didn't want to see my arrows. He didn't, but I've had other occasions where they've just pulled absolutely everything out and yeah. gone through the whole lot. Yeah. So yeah. it varies. And, the thing you want to do in that situation is you want to be prepared. You want to be you want to be smart about it. Be prepared and make sure you are squeaky clean. And when you get there, be confident. Don't act dumb and and don't act like scared or guilty. Be confident yeah. and say I have done this. Yeah, be honest with them. Yeah, be honest. Yeah. I've got this. I've done this. I've yeah. cleaned my arrow. Well, it, like in my case, I didn't even bring any arrows back that had blood on them. They all stayed there. Yeah. I just I put them in a cross and left them at the at the at the cabin where we hunted from. So I just I just said, yep, like this is what I've got, this is what I'm claiming, and yeah, just be honest and be be confident with it. Yep. And then they sort of more, they'll sort of be less. Yeah, if you're not trying to pull wool over their eyes, like, they're it. not fools. They deal with yeah. them, that sort of shit all, all day, all every day. day, every day. So yeah, and they can yeah they can pick that sort of shit. Right, eh? All right. But, well, I think we got the friggin' nuts and bolts of friggin' gear wise, yeah. gear wise preparation. Um, how to go about organising a trip like this, what sort of gear you need. Obviously, you know what I mean? If you're thinking about a hunt like this or any hunt, or you just want to reach out and say good day, have a chat to Ben it's all, it's all, or at Silent for Shoots, happy to friggin' help. And um, we're going to mix a drink and we're going to get <laughs> friggin' into part two. Righto, guys. <laughs> See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Hunting Countdown on a podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.